The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Sharon Kleiner Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. What you hear in the next hour could very well save your life. Now, here's your host, Sharon Kleiner. I want to invite you to listen to the Sharon Kleiner Hour, Power of Water. I'm Sharon Kleiner. I'm speaking to you from Grants Pass, Oregon, in Southern Oregon, in the United States of America. The Power of Water radio talk show started almost nine years ago now. I started it because I was worried about the crisis of the water throughout the world that we live in. For some reason, our education and our research has not been sufficient enough to really make a priority of water to be protected on our planet. It's becoming an, it has become an endangered species, and water is a species as a living life. It's you. It's how our lives. And I'm always going to be repeating this over and over again to all of you that even listen all the time at the beginning of the show so you're reminded every day, every time you listen to this show, the water was here for billions of years in the atmosphere as a water vapor around the whole circle of the planet Earth for billions of years before water came to the planet on the surface. But when the climate changed around our planet and the droplets began to come down, they began to come down into a location of where that temperature had changed and the droplets came at that spot. At that spot began life eventually. It took billions of years. Life began. Soil began as a species of life. Water would absorb through the soil, go down below the earth into what we call aquifers, like caves of water. But all of a sudden, that cave would fill up aquifer and the water would come to the surface. When the water came to the surface, you'd have a puddle, you'd have a pond, you'd have a creek, a stream, a river, a lake, lowest point of all the freshwaters would run to what became an ocean. The fresh water on the planet is keeping us alive because that fresh water is relating to the water vapor and the atmosphere and recycling itself. So what do you think is happening to the freshwater crisis on the planet? We're not keeping enough fresh water on the surface. It's getting too low. And your water vapor in the atmosphere is evaporating too quickly, and so is the fresh water on the planet. Evaporation. We call it in human life 
dehydration effect if you're evaporating too quickly. The rest of the world, they say there's a drought. I say with my research from Biologic Aqua Research, Water Life Science Research Center that I am the founder of, it's called evaporation of water loss. Your body is water. And I'm going to be reminding you of that as long as I can plant the seed throughout the world and the scientists that I bring to the table. We want you to know your body is made up of recycled water from our planet. When you left your mother's womb and that water, you entered into the water vapor of the atmosphere to keep you alive. The water that absorbs from the atmosphere is what you need to slow down your own individual evaporation of body water loss. In the womb, the eyes and the brain connect at the same second. The eyes at the surface are 99% water. The brain is 80 to 85% water. So when that baby is born and enters into that delivery spot and the absorption of the water vapor begins to keep that baby alive, but the eyelid opens. And when the eyelid opens, the surface of the eye is like a battery charging electrolytically to the, with the water vapor in the air to be able to supplement the eyes to be healthy. But the eye must maintain at all times that 99% water to be healthy. If it doesn't maintain, it has to kick in from the brain to give it a recycling for the, for the eyes to be able to have a recycling with the brain to keep up with the water. If the water isn't maintained at the surface and gets evaporates too quickly and becomes dehydrated, you begin what's called vision impairment. It could be allergies to start with, fatigue, blurry, burning, itching, whatever, but the vision impairment can begin all the way to eventual dehydration, too much evaporation, to blindness. Your body goes through that cycle every day, all day, your body. Your organs in the body operate on water. The lungs are 75 to 80% water. Liver, 70 to 75% water. Skin, 70 to 75% water. Your blood, 50% water. Your muscles, 70 to 75% water. The kidneys, 80 to 85% water. Your teeth, are 8 to 10% water. Your bones are 20 to 25% water. Your heart that just keeps everything pumping through that body is 75 to 80% water. What is your mechanical operation of your uniqueness? There are no two eyes alike, no two fingerprints alike. Your evaporation makes you different. Dehydration means you could die. So I'm going to teach you five things that I'll never stop preaching on this show and teaching. Number one, you need how to learn to breathe. We've never learned from a baby how to breathe in through the nose, out through the mouth, like you do when you're learning Tai Chi and Qigong and and, uh, meditations and so on. Breathing is vital to those organs. You breathe in the moisture from the air and you let it out through the mouth. Breathing. 
Number two, drinking eight to ten glasses of water a day are vital, with nothing added to the water, please, that blocks absorption. It, drink at least four of them all at once to absorb, but no less than eight, please, through the 24-hour cycle. The other one is nutrition. Our forefathers did magnificent things to invent, unbelievable things to invent, but there were two things they invented that I don't agree with. Smoking cigarettes can kill you. Smoking anything can kill you. It'll evaporate you to death. The other one is your frying pan. It's, it's, you, you can evaporate to death. No two people eating every bit of your nutrition has to be thought out to your harmony of how you feel. It's vital to your digestion. The other one is moderate exercise. If you're an athlete, find a moment to do things moderately too, to slow down that evaporation. Lastly, sleep, like the planet has to sleep. For you to recycle your body water and to regroup yourself every day to slow that evaporation of water down, to be able to harmonize and have a balance, you've got to have rest. You've got to have sleep. Five important things that you must learn. But the water on the planet is why this show is here. The show is trying to educate you and the rest of the world. Something is wrong. They made a mistake, the politicians and the UN and others. They forgot this is not a social occasion. This is not a political thing. Water is the primary reason to live. And the influence of the recycling of the air, the surface of our planet, and our bodies, and all life has to have an ev- water. And evaporation is what causes your symptoms to severe dehydration, drought, to where you can lose. Sand is lifeless microorganism. I don't want to see, to see what happened in the Middle East. They didn't have the technology way back. But we've been learning new technology to recycle and slow the evaporation of the planet down so that we can maintain the water for eternity with recycling and more technology to learn. But your body, you have to learn that for yourself. You are in control of your own destiny with yourself. Once you figure that out and that harmony and that rhythm, I call it the Health Olympics, you'll look at the planet and think, oh my gosh, We've got to do this with an everyday habit for the planet to live forever. We want it to be here for eternity, for all those children to come to know we all care. It's that important. Today, our research that we want you to look up is India, their crisis of water and what is happening. I've had people say they can go through the country of India and find children that are dead because there's no water and people that are found dead, there is no water. And what an affluent country, but then they're not really thinking it out. Now, in China, I just got back from China, and I noticed that China is really working on that. They hand out free water all over that country, free water. They have reservoirs that they're building to hold water back and try to work on a new filter plan. They're studying it every day. But they hand out free water all over that country and bottled water. And please don't anybody talk about to me about the bottled water to drink businesses. 
because if it was out those bottled water to drink businesses like Nestle and many others, you would not be able to have bottled water handed to you for free during a crisis or in situations. You wouldn't have any to buy. Have you ever gone to the store and they're almost out? It's becoming very common that people are buying cases and cases of water for their homes. Thank God they're in business for us. So please keep them in business. But go through your uh, looking up how is the water supply in India and in California and uh, and you can pick out China and you'll learn if what everybody is learning what to do. And the Power of Water radio talk show is the only radio talk show like it in the world. You'll learn that we are in this together. We're in a, we have a mission going on with water life science. And with that water life science, with a mission, you will become a water advocate. It is vital for all the children to come. Today, I am really excited about having this person on, um, Dr. David Katz. Dr. Katz, is a priority is nutrition. I'm going to tell you a little bit about him, and then we'll listen to our sponsor, and we'll come back with Dr. Katz. Dr. Katz is an MD, but he has many other degrees and authority in nutrition. He's with the Yale School of Medicine, but he's an advocate worldwide and well-known for diet, nutrition, and studies. So we're going to have a lot of fun listening to what he will teach us about what we need to do to be in those health Olympics and the ideas of getting up in the morning, putting your feet on the ground, and beginning a day thinking about your diet is your harmony and your focus of life. It's vital to you. But first, we're going to listen to our sponsor, Biologic Aqua Research, Water Life Science, has a product, Nature's Tears Eye Mist. Many years ago, I was asked by the medical field if I would study the eyes to try to slow the evaporation of the water loss that causes vision impairment to blindness. I studied it many years. They asked me if I would put something on the market for it, and we did, thanks to all the universities and the the doctors and, and the medical communities throughout the United States and the world. Nature's Tears Eye Mist is the only product like it in the world to supplement the water loss at the surface of the eyes with just a mist of tissue culture grade of water, safe, exciting, and the future. With a tre- It'll be trendy, but people will find it no different than anything else you do that is vital for your health to supplement with just a mist. We'll listen to our sponsor, Nature's Tears Eye Mist, and we'll be back with Dr. Katz. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Discover the secret of Nature's Tears Eye Mist, an entirely different approach to eye care without eye drops. When your tear film is dry, your eyes feel dry. Nature's Tears Eye Mist naturally supplements the tear film with Biologic Aqua Absolute Premium Standard Grade of pure, all-natural water. Nature's Tears Eye Mist, just a mist. All natural, safe, convenient, no preservatives. Nature's Tears Eye Mist can be purchased nationwide at selected eye care professionals and drugstores near you. 
Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. listening to the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. If you have a question or comment, please direct your email to SharonKleinaHour at Yahoo.com. That's SharonKleinaHour at Yahoo.com. Now, back to the program. Dr. Katz, are you with us? I am, Sharon. Good to be with you. Well, thanks to you for joining us. I was excited. Um, we've had on the show in the past Dr. Esselstein, who wrote the book Preventative Heart Disease, and then we had Dr. Campbell, who's the China study. And we've had many through the years of, of this show. Uh, we get into, yes, the water focus and, and all that, but diet, diet, diet. And I was very excited to have you on today to hear about what you've been learning. But first of all, tell our audience about who you are, what, where you, how you got where you're at today, to focus on the nutrition side of your medical uh, degrees. Well, thank you, Sharon. Good to be in such excellent company. So I I trained in internal medicine after medical school, and that's really the broad study of the conditions that affect adults and how to treat them. So after four years of medical school, that's three years of residency. And it's really during that time in your medical training that you're spending 100 to 120 hours a week in the hospital. You're on call at night. You're working straight through the night. And basically, your entire life is surrounded by desperately sick people in hospital beds. And most of our concentrated effort, you know, is to keep those people alive (laughs) and help get them out of the hospital. And, And you're so busy doing that that it's one of those classic scenarios where it's easy to see the trees and miss the forest, but I tend to be a forest kind of guy. I, I just naturally gravitate toward the big picture. So for me, the big picture was, yeah, these people are, are horribly sick, and it's my job to treat them, and it's a privilege to do that. But on the other hand, it's equally clear that many of them never needed to get this sick in the first place. Right. We have known for literal decades that lifestyle behaviors account for fully 80% of all chronic diseases, heart disease, right. cancer, stroke, diabetes, dementia. It's quite incredible. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what was filling hospital beds. It was heart mm-hmm. disease, cancer, stroke, diabetes, and so forth. And 80% of that didn't need to happen if people simply lived a healthier lifestyle, ate a better diet, were physically active, avoided tobacco. And I, I just thought it wasn't good enough to, to be there taking care of all this disease after it developed when we knew how to prevent 80% of it. So I felt obligated, really, to devote my career to helping to prevent that 80%. Uh, and, of course, I've continued to take care of patients all these years. But I went on to do a second residency in preventive medicine at Yale. Uh, I got my master's in public health. And the, the rest is history, as they say. Really, my career has been devoted to health promotion, disease prevention, mm-hmm. leveraging lifestyle, in particular diet, to mm-hmm. prevent up to 8 in 10 cases of all of those bad diseases that prevail in modern societies. And when you started, how many years ago did you start that? Well, I started medical school in 1984. I completed my internal medicine training in 1991. I got my master's in public health and completed my preventive medicine program in 1993. So that's now 22 so years ago. So you focusing and what, on more nutrition about 
10 years yeah, ago? That entire time. And, and what's interesting is it was in 1993, so just as I was completing my second residency, that a paper came out in the Journal of the American Medical Association entitled Actual Causes of Death in the United States. Yes. And what the authors of that paper uh-huh. pointed out is that we, we tend to think about causes of death in terms of what's written on death certificates, which, by the way, I, I have filled out in the middle of the night as a resident, as we all do. But what we write down on a death certificate at 2 o'clock in the morning in the hospital is the thing the person died of that night. So it's their heart attack or it's their cancer. Mm-hmm. What a death certificate doesn't tell you is what caused the heart disease uh, or what caused the cancer. And, mm-hmm. and what the authors of this paper investigated was that. What were the actual underlying causes of the diseases that were causing people to die prematurely. And the answer to that question was lifestyle. It was tobacco, diet, poor diet, lack of physical activity, uh, exposure to toxins, various things. And, and, you know, the the advantage of knowing that, Sharon, is that those are things we can modify. You forgot one thing. I said it in the show at the beginning, uh, smoking cigarettes or smoking anything and the frying pan. (laughs) Right. Our, our forefathers, yeah. I always say, were geniuses. What they accomplished was amazing. But when it comes time for our health, smoking anything at all, and then the other one is the frying pan. Everything had to be fried and greased and, and whatever, so everybody got their palate to the point they wanted to taste a lot of salt and things like that. But back, uh, that kind of tasting, um, have you noticed when you're studying now the diet, uh, a new trend? That's why I asked you about how long you've been doing this because it's winding into where I call it the Health Olympics of people really wanting to learn what you eat is your, is your whole life. Well, I, I hope so. We're all at risk, I think, of preaching to the congregation. And, you know, so the people who line up to listen to any of us tend to be folks who are interested in what we have to say. My worry is there are a lot of those different factions. So you may be right, and many days I feel optimistic. But I, I also worry about the trends I've seen. We got fixated on cutting fat, and frankly, we ate low-fat junk and got fatter and sicker. And then we got fixated on cutting carbs, and we ate low-carb junk and got fatter and sicker. And then we fixated on sucrose and fructose and selectively cut sugars and managed to get fatter and sicker. And these days, there's a, a camp that's focused on grains and a camp that's focused on gluten and a camp that's focused just on meat, and round and round we go. <laughs> And I, you know, I worry that, that almost everybody is disinterested in what matters most, and that's the big picture. Michael Pollan, I think, put it beautifully, eat food, not too much, mostly plants. When I've written about it and when I've studied it, which I have extensively, the conclusion I've reached is wholesome foods and sensible combinations, and I agree it needs to be mostly plants, although whether or not it's exclusively plants I think is open to individual choice. And and the evidence we have for this is is really incredibly strong. Are we getting there? I think there are some signs we are. I think we're running out of ways to eat badly, so maybe we're left with no choice but to get it right finally. But for decades, we have been frittering away our health by inventing new ways to eat badly and inviting big food to invent new kinds of junk food. We tell them, hey, we're we're focused on gluten, so how about you sell us gluten-free junk now? Well, they're only too happy to do that, and it's time for that nonsense to stop. Right. And we are to blame. In fact, uh, a lot of times when people are blaming the medical field, I said, hey, wait a minute, way back in time, 
we, the patients, the person goes to the doctor and says, please be our God. I, I know I should have been here sooner, but I'm here. You take care of me real quick. And so they started a quick fix postage stamp type. Uh, even regulators were letting postage stamps type fixes come to um, treating the symptom. And the food industry doctor, they, they noticed that their publicly held companies were making more money if, if your taste liked it. And um, that, that you are right. You are so right. Now, this, with what you've been learning... There's an distinction, Sharon, and, and you know, I, I don't disagree with you, but I often differentiate between blame for the problem and responsibility for the solution. I, I feel we all have to take right. some portion of responsibility right. for the solution, but blame for the problem is a little more complicated because it kind of snuck up on us. And, and, you know, frankly, the reason that we get chronic disease is because we live long enough to, chronic, to get chronic disease. We're not dying of smallpox and, you know, and, and, you know, we're not worried about polio anymore. Previous generations were. And, and the reason we get fat, frankly, uh, th- this may sound blunt and brutal, but it's the truth, is because we can. I mean, most animals will get fat given the opportunity if they've got, they don't have to work hard physically, and you give mm-hmm. them lots of tasty food, just about any species <laughs> will get fat. Well, you know, we've created a perfect opportunity to get fat in the modern world, and that's why most people do. So, yes, to some extent, we have met the enemy and it is us, you know, where we sort of let ourselves get fat and sick and then say to to the medical establishment, fix us. But I don't know that we're really to blame. It kind of caught us by surprise. You know, throughout most of human history, the thing that we were struggling with was not having enough calories and having too much physical work. We really have no native adaptations to defend us against having no physical work and and too many calories. It just kind of, you know, it Mm -hmm. snuck up on us. Now that we're aware of that problem, we all share in responsibility for addressing it so we can give ourselves and our children the health we all deserve. But again, I, I differentiate between blame for the problem. I'm not so sure that, that it's really our fault, per se, uh, but we definitely have to step up and take shared responsibility for the solution. Definitely. In fact, that was one of my things about all that we do every day, take full responsibility for uh, your, who you are, what you do, your actions. And when it comes time for your health, your health Olympics, I call it, you've got to get to know yourself. You have to be in tune to your own harmony and rhythm of living. And I, I dove into studying Tai Chi and Qigong and to pick up what they do about that energy away from the body, doctor. And, and you stop and think about all of them that are into that. They're all health conscious. They, they care about how they feel. They care about that rhythm and that harmony. And, uh, but they're moderate. I've noticed that I have no one in that group throughout the world that are really what you call vegan or extreme. They're very yeah. moderate. Have you noticed that? And generally. Uh, let me point something out I think is really important. A, a very good friend of mine, Dan Butner, is author of The Blue Zones. And uh, you know, I think this is a major contribution to modern public health understanding. Uh, Dan is a National Geographic fellow who, who began really as a distant cyclist traveling the world, an explorer, really. But what, what he stumbled into was some of the world's longest-lived populations, and this evolved into a study and then, then articles and then a book. And what the Blue Zones describes is those populations around the world that live the longest, get the least chronic disease, and ultimately die peacefully in their sleep often at the age of 100 or sometimes well beyond it. 
And then, you know, once you've discovered that and, and mapped them, you, you start asking detailed questions about, well, what the heck are these people doing? And uh, Dan's most recent book, The Blue Zone Solution, is all about their diets. The beautiful thing about the Blue Zones is that they're more alike than different. They all avoid tobacco. They eat a diet of real foods, wholesome foods, and sensible combinations, mostly plants. They're physically active. Mm-hmm. They get enough sleep. They're not stressed out. They have mm-hmm. a strong sense of community. So I refer to those things as feet, forks, fingers, sleep, stress, and love. Feet is physical activity. Forks is dietary pattern. Fingers never hold cigarettes. Get enough sleep. Don't stress out. Hug somebody. Feet, like forks, that. fingers, sleep, stress, and love. I like they that. fire on those six cylinders. And they Doctor, routinely live to be 100. But wow. the beauty of it, Sharon, is that they range from a Mediterranean diet in Ikaria, Greece, and Sardinia, Italy, to a vegan diet in Loma Linda, California, to an overtly starch-based but omnivorous diet on the Nicoya Peninsula in Costa Rica, and a traditional Asian diet in Okinawa, Japan. They're very different. So they're all the same in the sense that they're all on the same theme, but they differ markedly. And what this argues for is a basic pattern of healthy living. What it argues against is dogma, the idea that there's any one highly prescriptive way that's the only way to do this. Now, that's that just not true. The evidence does not question. suggest that. That's my next question with you and your studies. I have this out evaluation and theories I've been studying, but do you think anyone with what you've been studying should really do only one be all vegan or all vegetarian or uh, do you believe and and I'm and, and and on the supplement side taking supplements that you're mixing up all those sides I'm uh, people go extreme to me uh, what is your thinking on the person who diet chooses a, a diet and stays extreme on that diet whatever choice they make what is your thinking well, the answer is it depends. So you mentioned some of your great guests, and, and, and these are people that I both respect and like very much, uh, Dr. Esselstein, Dr. Campbell. Uh, they're both vegan, and they're both very adamant about it. Now, you know, a vegan diet done right is one of the best diets ever studied. Is it the best diet for human health? Well, we really don't know. Uh, we have no evidence, really, that it's better than a Mediterranean diet, for example. On the other hand, there are more than 7 billion people on the planet now. And one of the things we know about eating animal products is they consume a lot of water. Uh, you know, it's very interesting as we look at the, the plight of California and the water shortages, there have been lots of detailed infographics about how much water it takes to produce a certain number of calories of tomatoes or eggplant or almonds or dairy or meat. And the one that consumes by far the most water is meat. So if we're talking just about human health, then I don't think there's any basis to be dogmatic about any particular diet and say it's the best and it's the one way to do things. On the other hand, we no longer have the luxury of talking about human health independently of the health of the planet. If we don't have a healthy planet, it's going to be hard for any of us to be healthy. And, and frankly, as responsible, decent human beings, we have to take care of the planet for the sake of our children. And there, there's a very strong argument to shift our diets toward mostly plant-based eating. Do they have to be entirely vegan? I don't think so. But, you know, again, I, I think an emphasis on plants is where the ethical treatment of other species, 
um, responsible planetary stewardship and human health all come together. So I do think my colleagues have a very valid point there. Mm-hmm. We have to take one. We only take one break through the show, Doctor, and we're going to come back, and we're going to talk about those plants and some of the research going on with the plants and the food that that's being uh, yeah, throughout the world been t- discussed about eating a lot of vegetables and uh, green. So don't you go anywhere because we're learning a lot. I really appreciate what your mission is here. We're going to listen to our sponsor. We're going to listen to our sponsor, Nature's Tears Eye Mist with just a mist to supplement dry eye. And we'll be right back with Dr. Kat. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Discover the secret of Nature's Tears Eye Mist, an entirely different approach to eye care without eye drops. When your tear film is dry, your eyes feel dry. Nature's Tears Eye Mist naturally supplements the tear film with Biologic Aqua Absolute Premium Standard Grade of pure, all-natural water. Nature's Tears Eye Mist, just a mist. All natural, safe, convenient, no preservatives. Nature's Tears Eye Mist can be purchased nationwide at selected eye care professionals and drugstores near you. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Listening to the Sharon Kleiner Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. If you have a question or comment, please direct your email to Sharon Kleiner Hour at Yahoo.com. That's Sharon Kleiner Hour at Yahoo.com. Now, back to the program. Dr. Katz, we were discussing uh, the vegetables and uh, the differences between the diets before we took our moment there for the sponsor. What is your thinking uh, for the audience to learn that the diet that you believe that you recommend, um, so there's not no, they they're not confused about some of the things you've been learning and studying? Well, I, I'm pleased to say, Sharon, I, I can help people out because I, I've written about this very extensively. So, for example. Uh, Frank Yu, who is a nutritional epidemiologist at Harvard and recently a member of the Dietary Guidelines Advisory Committee, worked with me on a piece we published in the Huffington Post entitled Knowing What to Eat, Refusing to Swallow It. So people can just sort of Google that. If they put in my name, Dr. Hugh's name, and swallow, they'll pull it right up. And we give an overview of, of both his research and mine and our conclusion about the basic pattern of a healthy diet. And, and, you know, frankly, it's pretty simple. A healthy diet is mostly made up of vegetables, fruits, whole grains, beans, lentils, nuts, and seeds. If you eat a lot of that minimally processed, you just can't go too far wrong. And then you can eat that with or without fish and seafood, with or without dairy, with or without eggs, with or without lean meats and poultry. So, you know, everybody can come up with the specific dietary pattern that works best for them and their family, but but the, the backbone of that diet is the same 
for all of us. And, you know, th- this is not just a seat-of-the-pants thing. I've written three editions of a nutrition textbook for healthcare professionals. The most recent came out this past fall. It's 750 pages, 10,000 scientific citations. It's really the view from altitude of, of the literature. Dr. Hugh has been researching this area for years. So, you know, I've worked with people who have a, an objective view of all of the evidence. What really matters is not how compelling any one study is, but what does the weight of evidence tell us? And the weight of evidence tells us very clearly that, yes, we absolutely want a plant-predominant diet, that vegetables and fruits are really, really good for us. Eating them is better for the planet, too. Uh, But there is no one clear best diet. Uh, You know, when it comes to human health, an Asian-style diet, a vegetarian diet, a Mediterranean diet, these are all variations on the theme. The other thing that's equally clear is that here in the U.S., we have wandered very far away from the theme. We we eat a whole variety of highly processed, glow-in-the-dark junk foods, and, you know, we we sort of reap the obvious consequences. And, And for folks who don't realize how badly manipulated our food supply is, I recommend another source, and that's the writings of Michael Moss. Michael Moss is a Pulitzer Prize winning author, and his book is called Salt, Sugar, Fat. But he wrote a, a fascinating New York Times Magazine cover story entitled The Extraordinary Science of Addictive Junk Food. And, and in that essay, he tells how big food companies hire teams of researchers to help them design food we can't stop eating. So, you know, here we are, doctors like me encouraging patients to exercise portion control so they don't succumb to obesity, and we've got expert scientists designing food they can't stop eating. Uh, you know, that's You know, I have this little quiz, doctor, because uh, I try to teach people about what addiction means, the word addiction, and because of our, our mouth and our craving and our tongue and those nerve endings and the saliva, and when you put something in your mouth and... All of a sudden, what is happening to you? How do you feel? And uh, I and I asked different people. And the other day, I was asking um, my patent attorney. I said, I said for the first time in all the years we worked together, and I said, Well, Howard, I said, what is it that you eat that you feel like might be addictive to you? Because you can't have just one. And doctor, he he was just kind of well. Well, I gosh, I, I I don't know. And then all of a sudden, he spilled out M and M's. All of us have something that we put in our mouth, and we can't have just one. Well, you know, of course, that's the famous Lay's potato chip commercial. Yeah, that I can't eat one, but <laughs> well, I, yeah, I, maybe what people don't realize, Sharon, is that that's not. Yeah, that's not just a, a mistake or, or an experience. It's by design. It's engineering. You know, foods have been engineered to yeah. maximize the calories it takes for us to feel full. So, you know, again, the only solution to that is to minimize the exposure you have to highly processed foods in the first place. Right. Eat, eat a predominance it's of foods direct from nature. Exposure. You know, there's, there's <laughs> nobody manipulating the, the composition of spinach to increase the calories it takes to feel full. Right. So, you know, all, all the foods with an ingredient list that's just one word long, those are generally the best choices. Now, I just got back this week from China for a week, um, and, of course, all the celebrations, everything we do there with the business is festivals, as you know. You've been to China? Uh, surprisingly, I have not yet. I, I look forward okay, to well, an upcoming trip. Uh, okay, well, 
this, the, the, the ceremony of having business dinners is around a table, a round table with a lazy Susan, and then the vegetables go on slowly and surely, and a little bit of beef, and a little bit of pork, and a little bit of fish, but mostly all vegetables. And you can get the uh, lotus blossom root on there cooked, just delicious. And you've got the bamboo roots and, uh, I mean, shoots and all these vegetables that are just delicious. And uh, my husband, you'll laugh, we've been, today's our wedding anniversary for 53 years, by the way. We oh, all happy anniversary. Been busy. But anyway, my husband's from Holland. And you know how the Dutch eat. And um, he could hardly get home to get to Carl's Jr. <laughs> yeah. I was in heaven, but back to the vegetables and our lives. Um, the, the reason I brought up at the beginning of the show is I'm a, a, people are really talking, even the people who go to Carl's Jr. and enjoy the mass market and those kind of eatings and the sausage and ta-da. But they are wanting to have a better diet. Commonly, too, though, uh, have you noticed? I've noticed that people are caring. They're, the education's getting farther out there. What you and your people are doing and your mission is getting f- closer to the consumer and people every day. To where, the, let's say, the women especially are more conscious about the diet in the home, the diet for the children. And uh, I've noticed it more. Maybe it's because I've been in research for so long, but. Um, but I and I and when people ask me, doctor, what do you do when you have a moment to relax and you go do something? I, I go produce shopping. I love to see what is the new produce available. Don't you enjoy going into your produce market and seeing something that maybe had not been there before? Well, it's yeah, particularly delightful when you can find produce in season. So farmers market, they, I mean, they're, they're right. absolutely delightful, and I, I'm looking out a window from my home office at the moment at my home garden and looking at the tomatoes ripening on the plant. Uh, yeah. You know, there's just nothing better than, than food direct from the garden, direct from the farm. So, yeah, I mean, it, that, that's a real treat. And, you know, we're, we're privileged, many of us, that we have access to the world's food supplies. You can get fresh produce year-round. But in particular, you know, when it's locally grown and it hasn't traveled a long distance and it, you just you, you taste the farm, and it's just wonderful. So, well, yeah, I, and, I completely you, agree. Uh, are people more health conscious? As I said earlier, I, I think there are some very encouraging signs. Uh, we seem to be holding the food industry more accountable. There are declines in soda consumption. We, we're increasingly preoccupied with reducing our sugar intake. All of these are good things. Uh, the, the obesity levels have plateaued uh, in the country, although What's leveled off is the number of people who are obese, not necessarily the severity of obesity. So, you know, I, I don't think we're out of the woods yet. Oh, and no. it's not yet entirely clear to me that we have overcome our tendency to invent new ways to eat badly. You know, again, gluten-free has become something of a fad, and people are content with themselves as long as they're eating gluten-free stuff, and they're inattentive to whether or not it's gluten-free junk. And there's no shortage of gluten-free junk available now. So you know, I, I, what I shudder to think is that we will keep repeating the follies of history, just focusing on mm-hmm. a different nutrient. Those people now, who are now starting to get the big picture right, to really focus right, on the overall research, quality of the diet, that, that's yeah. the good news. In your research, have you noticed that there are some people that maybe require... Uh, a little more carbohydrate, a little more, I, I, I hate the word sugar, but a little bit more of the carbohydrate 
because of their body energy and their body's um, way of burning, uh, using its energy. Uh, then there's other people that don't use the same energy. Their energies may be coming more from a mental than a physical. And the, and the diet in the home has to be decided how you feel as a person with what you're eating and digesting. And, and if you get fatigue, what is causing the fatigue? Uh, if you become um, sluggish, more swollen in the body, uh, because you're not getting enough drinking to drink enough water. And that's the other one I was going to ask you about today is is the drinking of the water. Did you know years ago doctors forgot to remind their patients to drink water and the patient would think, oh, I, I would forget about drinking water because the doctor hadn't said to remind them. I know that sounds childish but immature, but people need to be reminded, drink water. And well, the, uh, when the they go to the doctor... Go ahead. The, the issue of whether or not people need different varieties of fuel, uh, the answer is both yes and no. We're all more alike than different. We are the same species. And so, you know, I think we all expect that tropical fish will be okay eating tropical fish food. We don't ask the question, well, you know, should this fish eat something different than that fish? We get a little bit carried away at times, I think, with how different each of us is from the others. We are a species. We're more alike than different. The fundamentals of healthy eating are true Mm -hmm. for everybody. On the other hand, there is a lot, obviously, of inter-individual variation, and the, the emerging science of nutrigenomics looking at specific genetic mutations and how they relate to metabolism of different fuels will start to guide us more and more toward the tailoring of dietary recommendations so that everybody can have optimal fuel, optimal energy, and so forth. So, so again, it's both yes and no. We mostly all need the same basic dietary pattern, but there's no question that within that theme, there are specific variations that may be best for you and may be best for me. In now, terms of water, there's, there's absolutely no question from a medical perspective that hydration is vitally important to health. Yeah. And I think one of the key messages these days is not just the reminder to drink water, but the reminder to drink specifically water when you're thirsty. There are so many competing choices these days. And most of them are a bad idea. Sports drinks and soft drinks and sodas and sugar-sweetened waters and and, all sorts of things masquerading as the right way to hydrate yourself. When, frankly, water is the best choice as it has always been. So, you know, whether you're drinking a certain quantity a day or listening to your thirst or paying attention Mm -hmm. to how often you need to urinate, which is probably one of the best indicators, the best choice for hydration for almost everybody, almost all of the time, is water. And I think that message does need more emphasis. Now, I'm going to ask you about children, because I'm going to to go into it uh, to finish off the show here. Children, the young young, uh, persons, let's say, above 25, up to about 50, and then ages. What have you been studying about children and the diet that may be different than the parents' diet? Well, for the most part, families should be eating together. And, you know, the, the only time it's really clear that a child's diet should different, differ from, from an adult is the first year of life when a, a child should be living on breast milk. Uh, mm-hmm. That's clearly the native diet of the, the newborn mammal, and it's as true of us as it is of other mammalian species. So, you know, I, I highly encourage breastfeeding for the first six to 12 months of life. 
After that, there, of course, is a transition period as you're slowly introducing solid foods. But most professional pediatric organizations around the world recommend that after age two, children's diets slowly approximate the diets of the adults in the same household. And, you know, it's interesting, Sharon, if you think about nature programming, it's remarkable how much of it is devoted to the struggles of usually mothers to feed their families, you know, in the form of bear cubs or, or pups or kits or whatever they may be. And, of course, what they're feeding their offspring is what they eat. That's pretty much how it's done throughout nature. I think the same is true of us, and you know, I think sometimes where we get it wrong is thinking that we should have some specific category of kid food. Uh, largely in the modern food supply, everything that's called kid food is the junkiest stuff the food industry knows how to make. That's a huge mistake. We really shape taste preferences for a lifetime with what we feed our kids. So, you know, again, I, I think families really should be thinking from a very early age about, you know, we all eat together. We all eat food that we love. We eat food that loves us back. Uh, this is something my wife and I have been devoted to forever. Uh, we have five children that we've raised. My wife has a free recipe site that listeners may enjoy called Quizinicity, C-U-I-S-I-N-I-C-I-T-Y, Quizinicity. These are all the Katz family great recipes that we and our children have enjoyed all these years. Mm-hmm. And, and we practice just what I'm preaching now. You know, from a very early age, we basically introduced our kids to the foods that we eat and we love, and they learn to love them too. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Now, when a person gets older and uh, they're not getting around as much and uh, they're slowed down, is there a particular diet that you would recommend to them to think about? Well, the, the concern in older age that, that you're referencing is sarcopenia, let's which say, is the loss of, of lean body 60 mass. 60 years old uh, on. Uh, let's go from like 60 on, uh, even though young 60. I'm 70s, and I live, uh, people don't know, can figure out how old I am. But there's some people that when they get older, they want to slow down. They, they brag about not having to work anymore, and they're just geared down. Their diet uh, always has concerned me a little bit. Uh, they have more time to be bored, but they also don't always eat the way they should because they're entertaining themselves differently with their food. So what would you recommend how they would pattern themselves, how they should be thinking their their diet? Right. Well, so you've raised a number of issues there, and uh, diet, I think, really is only one of them. But if we're talking about what diet is recommended, it's largely the same diet that's always been recommended, although if people are burning fewer calories and less activity, they may need fewer calories in their diet to maintain a healthy weight. That ultimately becomes the problem. Traditionally, there's been a recommendation for nutrient supplements such as multivitamins beginning at about age 50. And and that's become more subject to debate, but there's still an argument for it. And, And one of the issues is whether it's age 50 or age 60, at some point, if people are less active, if they lose some muscle mass, and they need fewer calories to maintain a healthy weight, it becomes more and more difficult to fit all of the nutrients you need into a smaller package, that package being the total number of calories you eat every day. So the basic recommendations for the diet are still the same, a diverse diet, wholesome foods, sensible combinations, mostly plants, minimally processed, all of that's still true. 
Uh, and, and, you know, in terms of macronutrients, the same basic ranges that are healthy throughout life are still healthy after age 50 or 60. Mm-hmm. But if you're eating less because you're less active, then there may be a, a more compelling argument for nutrient supplementation as we get older just to make sure you're getting all of the, the nutrients that are essential to health. Now, when you've been studying the nutrients, I'm sure you have along with your team, um, I'm always a little concerned that people um, are taking supplements that may be too many supplements mixing them up at one time. You've probably noticed, too, that people will have a habit of taking all their supplements at once. What what is your evaluation of that? I don't think there's a one-size-fits-all answer. There there are some nutrient supplements that actually enhance the absorption of others, and so Mm -hmm. combinations can be useful. Obviously, a multivitamin, Mm -hmm. multimineral supplement is designed to deliver a wide array of nutrients at once. And, of course, foods deliver a wide array of nutrients at once. Uh, So, you know, in some ways, combining nutrients actually increases the bioavailability. So I I just can't give a one-size-fits-all answer. It really depends what specific supplements we're talking about. Mm -hmm. Right, and people should consider that. Something else that I always recommend to people, and I wonder if you would support that, um, when you go to a health food store, to, sh- to shop for your supplements if you're unaware of a lot of the familiarity to them. Ask if somebody can help you, but make sure they've been working at this a long time. In other words, it's not somebody that's only been there for a year. They would be... Well, I, I, yeah, I, I would go further than, than that, Sharon. I, you know, I'm not sure it matters how long they've been working at a health food store. I, I would say if you're going to get advice about nutrition, health, nutrient supplements... It should be from someone who's actually trained to be expert in that, and there's no required expertise to stand behind the counter at a health food store. So, you know, whether you've been there a year, you've been there three years, I I don't know that that's a valid source. Now, if that's someone you happen to know is trained and knowledgeable and you trust them, that's a different story. But otherwise, I would say you really want to talk to a healthcare professional. You know, again, just using myself as an example, I had nine years of postgraduate education before I presume to start offering people advice about their health. You know, that's, right. that's pretty intense. Uh, right. You know, a lot of people just start dispensing medical advice without a license, and I would say to that, caveat emptor. Now, uh, before you're done today, too, one other question. Do you think that they're adding in medical school more nutrition study, diet studies than they ever have before? Or There's still, still a lack of nutrition education mm-hmm. in medical school, and colleagues and I are working to fix that. I've been working to fix that for years. I taught nutrition for many years at Yale. Uh, As I said, I've written multiple editions of a nutrition textbook for medical schools. I'm attending a a conference within the next month that's all about nutrition education in in medical schools. Uh, There's a trend to try and improve it, but it's actually really hard to get space in the medical curriculum because it's pretty crowded real estate. So we've got a long way to go. Mm -hmm. Uh, There is attention to it. There's recognition of how important it is, but Mm -hmm. we've got miles to go before any of us gets to sleep. Mm -hmm. Well, we only have a moment left. Is there something you'd like to say to us before we go? Well, you know, again, if if the, the key issue here today is can we say what diet is best for human health, The answer is absolutely yes if we're talking about a basic theme of healthy eating. 
And the answer is no if we're talking about any one single variant on the theme that's clearly the, the, the one winner. And I think that's a good thing for listeners because I believe in loving the food that loves you back. And as long as we stick with the theme, we all really get to make the choices that work best for ourselves and our families. So stick with the theme. And I you know, wish everybody listening a, a long and vital life. And, can't, and you can never learn enough. There's always something new to learn. That's a good thing. Right. Well, you and your family have a special uh, summer left, and I really appreciated you coming on and spending time with us today. You have a nice day, and you be well. And happy anniversary to you, Sharon. Thanks so much. And thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Bye-bye now. Bye. I hope you learned as much as I did. He's very intense in what he's been learning, and uh, I liked the fact that he said that the doctors are trying to learn more about nutrition because your diet is who you are and it's your uh, outlook on life. It's your anxiety. It's your anger moment. It's your frustration, your fatigue. It's your energy. It's everything in life. But he did say, which everybody who we bring on here says, Fresh green, dark green vegetables. Always make sure they're dark green at every meal. Make sure you get some fresh fruit. Make sure you're drinking a lot of water. Make sure you get plenty of of good rest, moderate exercise, and I'm back to the breathing also. Breathe in, breathe out. You'll be shocked how, but again, your diet is vital to who you are. I want to thank you for listening. I want you to hopefully embrace your life every special moment. It's your life, but also remember there's other people with lives to be very concerning to their lives, that our imperfections sometimes are a big fact that we forget how precious their life is too. But earth whispers, never say goodbye because then you're always considering somebody else's life and leaving something behind for all the children to come. I want to thank you for listening. You have a nice day and you be well. Thank you for listening. Join us next week for another edition of the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water, Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel, with an encore Wednesdays at 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Remember to visit Sharon's website at SharonKleinaHour.com.